Welcome to Reinventing Professionals, a podcast hosted by industry analyst Ari Kaplan, which shares ideas, guidance, and perspectives from market leaders shaping the next generation of legal and professional services. This is Ari Kaplan, and I'm speaking today with Casey Flaherty, the founder of Procertus and the creator of the Legal Tech Assessment, a competency-based learning and benchmarking platform focused on the core technology associated with the delivery of legal services. Hi, Casey. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Ari. It's a privilege. So tell us about your background and the genesis of the Legal Tech Assessment. Out of law school, I went to an Amlaw 100 firm, and then from there I moved in-house at a large corporation, and from there I actually moved into consulting, mostly with large law departments as well as law firms. And the genesis of the LTA was really my move from law firm to law department, because while I was at the firm, I saw a lot of things that I didn't want to pay for as a client, and almost none of them had to do with expertise. The lawyers at the top the, the partners were unbelievable. I mean, they were brilliant. And what they did was so valuable. It, it wasn't that I discounted in any sense how important law firms were to clients, but the way that that expertise was or wasn't leveraged through process and technology really concerned me. I saw a lot of inefficiency in the labor-intensive side of legal work. And so there was the knowledge side, at which they were great, and then there was the labor side that was less good. And so when I went in-house, I wanted to figure out ways to work with my firms to improve legal service delivery. And fundamentally, I wanted to be able to weave continuous improvement into the fabric of our relationships. So I borrowed a lot of concepts from supply chain management, thinking about the ways that you develop deep supplier relationships and an integrated supply chain. And one of the big ones was conducting site visits. I'd actually go on site at law firms armed with billing data, and I'd sit with mainly associates and paralegals, although also admins, and watch them work because I'd be able to say, hey, you're billing me a lot for X. Can you show me how you do it? And they'd walk me through their steps and I'd take notes on how they did their work. And then I would come up with a list of ways that it could be done better. In fact, I still do this for large corporations. They send me it on-site at law firms, and I'm, I'm looking for a whole host of things. I'm looking for knowledge management and document automation and the use of data and analytics and s- delegation and staffing protocols. There's a legal service delivery puzzle, and there's all these little pieces to it. But my main finding was that people spent most of their time in the basics, Word, Excel, PDF, email, their document management system. And they were mostly terrible at it. And on this latter point, law firms didn't believe me, even though I was the client and they were quick to believe me if I in any way voiced concerned about their overall technology infrastructure. Today it'd be, we know we're not using AI and blockchain properly or what have you. Quick to concede that and tell me not to worry about it because they had a technology committee. But they had a very hard time believing that their people who they thought to be very smart and hardworking, which, by the way, they are, but that their people weren't good with the technology that they used all the time, in particular their young people. And we were at an impasse because I knew this to be true and they didn't believe me. But without data, you're just another person with an opinion. So I created an assessment. I took tasks that I was paying for as an in-house counsel, and I mocked them up, went through them myself, and I could get through them in under 20 minutes. The average AMLA associate or paralegal took two and a half hours. 
And that's because they were unfamiliar with central features in the most common software. Again, Word, Excel, PDF. And this remains true to this day, that when I go on site at law firms, I see all kinds of areas for improvement. This is also true at law departments. It's true everywhere. If you came in and scrutinized me, you'd find all kinds of ways for me to improve. But that the low-hanging fruit of productivity is getting better at the tools we already have at our disposal. And it's not just lawyers, and it's not just the legal market. This is the low-hanging fruit of productivity across corporate America. Uh, Anyone who works in an office environment and has to sit at a computer many hours a day should probably be trained how to use the machine and the software available on it. And we don't do that training. And so there is an enormous amount of waste and friction in how we operate. That's how I got to the, the legal tech assessment, because it was one thing to diagnose the disease. It was another thing to come up with the cure. The great thing about assessments is that they lend themselves to training in that they identify what people know and what they don't. And then once you have identified what people don't, you give them training, and then you can use the assessment to validate that the training was actually effective. And that's where we get into this competency-based learning and benchmarking platform. What are some of the advantages that you've seen for employers who are offering or employees that are leveraging the legal tech assessment? Better, faster, cheaper, happier. This is, of course, about speed, which we equate to money and and legal for obvious reasons. If you know how to use the features, you get your work done much quicker. But it's not just that it gets done quicker. It gets done better. To take an easy example, lawyers love writing contracts. Even litigators write contracts. They just call them settlement agreements. And one particular tick of lawyers when writing contracts is cross-references, you know, per section 3.1.2. The thing is, another tick of lawyers is to change contracts. We always have to leave our mark. There's actually a lot of good academic literature on this. Lawyers feel the need to tinker whenever they're given a document. When they change the provisions, all of a sudden, all those cross-references need to be updated. Well, Microsoft recognized this. They recognized this over 20 years ago. So they put in a little button, cross-reference, that when you update the agreement, you press a couple of buttons and all the cross-references update. Once you know how to do it, it's great. It saves you all kinds of time. It also saves you a lot of opportunities for human error, error that the machine would not make. And so there's a video up on my site, prosertis.com, where we show you the difference between it being done in two seconds or two and a half hours with one opportunity for error or 400 opportunities for error. So that's about speed and quality. But it's not just quality of work, it's quality of life, because the thing about updating cross-references or many of the other things that we talk about is that it's mind-numbing, it's boring, it's painful. According to surveys, law is literally the most boring job in the world, and young attorneys are the most miserable professionals in the United States. That is because there's an enormous amount of drudgery inherent in what we do. Much of that drudgery can be automated. In fact, much of it has been automated. But our technology, like our cars, isn't yet self-driving. It still requires precise user inputs to get us from point A to point B. And unless you learn, you're going to have a bad time. And so it's not just about quality of work. It's about quality of life. And that's a benefit for both the employer and the employee. Are law schools teaching the skills that your assessment is measuring? Some are now, and it's not just an assessment. We also have embedded the training in it. It delivers the training. It identifies the gaps, 
and then it delivers the necessary training. Some law schools are teaching it because we've had over 40 law schools use our software. So some are, but most aren't. And even those that are tend to do it in a few select courses. So not every student is getting it. What do law students gain by using this tool? It makes them far more practice ready and also a differentiator on on their resume. If you score well on our assessments, you're given a digital badge. It can go on your LinkedIn profile or a digital resume when someone clicks on it. It takes them to a third-party administrative website that says this person earned this badge on this date, and this is what they did to do it. And so we're creating mechanisms for transparency and accountability. It replaces the largely meaningless proficient in MS office, which ranks up there with, I have read these terms and conditions for how often it's true. What's your business model? We have a low cost flat fee for law schools. I don't know if you're familiar with the Center for Computer Assisted Legal Instruction, Cali. It's a consortium of 200 law schools. We really admire what they do, and we wanted to do something similar. Now, originally for law schools, I wanted to make this free. And then I learned quite quickly that free is obscenely expensive. And not only that, but I wouldn't be able to use a third-party platform. That We'd actually have to build our own platform for it to really work in the law school environment. And so we had to make it for pay, but we're just trying to cover our development costs. And so we're starting with a very low flat fee for law schools. For law departments, it tends to be about $50 a person. The larger the department, that cost goes down if you buy at the enterprise level. For law firms, it's $99 a person. Again, it goes down if you buy at the at the enterprise level. In addition, we are partnering with multiple state bars to create CLE content. And then we'll decide on the state bars what that'll cost and we'll sell directly to members. Given the proliferation of technology, what level of experience do employers expect of their new hires? They expect everyone to already know all, all these things. In fact, they, they have a poorly calibrated expectation that anyone who's being hired, of course, already knows this. We have bought into this myth in particular of the digital native because kids get a Twitter account in utero. All of a sudden, they know how to use every piece of technology. This has been disproven over and over again. There's a considerable amount of empirical evidence, the biggest being a 200,000-person study by the OECD. We also have over 5,000 users in our system that reflects the same findings, which is that most people struggle with most technology when you get past simple uses. So almost anyone can run a Google search, and Google's great. 3.5 billion times per day, it will force rank 60 trillion web pages. It does this in less than one second, and only 0.1% of us are ever desperate enough to go to the second page of results. But Google itself offers two six-week courses on how to use Google. And that's because the second you get past basic keyword searching into things like filters and connectors and punctuation, it becomes a lot more Boolean. And certainly Google could figure out how to cram all of that into user interface. They've crammed some of it into Google advanced search. But if that was the main Google, they would lose their hallmark minimalism. So they've cut the Gordian knot of this trade-off between simplicity and depth by offering a very simplified user experience and then rewarding power users who learn how to use the deeper functionality. But they do have to learn. This is not a matter of innate talent. It is a bundle of learned skills, and you have to learn it 
somewhere, and, and we don't. I mean, Google's own search anthropologists suggest that less than 10% of people know how to use the find function, control F. Now, for those of us who know how to use it, we think that's insane. That's because we suffer from the curse of knowledge. So the curse of ignorance is you don't know what you don't know. People aren't doing it wrong on purpose. They're doing it wrong because they don't know any better. And because they don't know any better, they have no idea that training will benefit them. The curse of knowledge is that once you know something, it's hard to imagine not knowing it. And so we assume that other people have more skills than they actually do. So on both sides of the equation, you have people writing proficient in MS office and believing it. It's not a lie. It's just not true. And then you have employers looking at the resume and assuming that when they say proficient in Microsoft Office, that that is meaningful when it isn't. We need to break open some illusions on both sides. How do you see legal education changing to meet these expectations? My vision is a partial vision. I'm focused on the basics. I would like to integrate this kind of training into the core curriculum. So when you do legal research and writing, you learn how to put together a memo. When you take your contracts course, you learn how to construct a contract. When you take CivPro, you learn how to create an e-filing. In some business-oriented class like corporations or biz orgs, you get an introduction to Excel, and then you do some kind of capstone in your second or third year that shows that you've captured these basics. And then you have other modules that individual classes might assign. So a trial-oriented class might assign a module on PowerPoint. You might have a data analytics class that gets deeper into Excel. Why I say that's a partial vision is because this is not the only thing we, we have to worry about. This happens to be what I do. And I think that people should absolutely invest in the basics. But there are lots of other ways to think about changing legal education to prepare lawyers to operate in a multidisciplinary world, to make them T-shaped. We have law schools out there like Michigan State and Suffolk and Georgetown and Cornell and Harvard and a bunch of others who are taking different paths and trying different things. And I don't have the answer for that. I would simply say that we can do more within the traditional curriculum to integrate this kind of basic practical training. And we have to think creatively about how to change the curriculum to accommodate a lot of the other skills that will stay lawyers in good stead as they progress through their careers. And I do not pretend to have the whole answer, but I do believe I've developed part of the answer. This is Ari Kaplan speaking with Casey Flaherty, the founder of Persertus and the creator of the Legal Tech Assessment, a competency-based learning and benchmarking platform focused on the core technology associated with the delivery of legal services. Casey, thanks so much. Thank you, Ari. Thank you for listening to the Reinventing Professionals podcast. Visit ReinventingProfessionals.com or AriKaplanAdvisors.com to learn more.